Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're continuing with part six of our 10-part deep dive series into reading a game publishing agreement. This game publishing agreement that we'll be reading today, of course, was provided by publisher Raw Fury at the end of 2020 as part of an effort to be transparent with the documents that they use to help publish video games. Those earlier parts of the series you can read in our playlist, A Lawyer Reads a Game Publishing Agreement, or maybe you can view them since you're watching these videos on YouTube or listening to them as a podcast. But throughout this series, we have talked about different aspects of what this agreement and what agreements like it ask of both developer and publisher. We've talked about the intellectual property ownership, how the developer has to deliver the game, what the publisher is doing on its side of the table to market and fund the game. And then last part, we talked about how they share the profits once the game is out there and hopefully making money for all parties involved. Now, as we move to the second half of this series, we're looking at things that are a little bit more legally technical. We're looking at the things that help set the risk profile for both developer and publisher through the words in the contract itself. Today, we're going to be talking about promises and confidences, what you saw in the thumbnail described as making promises. Most often, this section is called representations and warranties in this agreement and in other agreements that you might see. Representations and warranties is a term of art that is basically a fancy way of saying one or the other party is promising something about itself, about the transaction, in this particular case, about that party's future behavior and they're making that promise to the other party so that if they breach that promise in some way, if they are found to have been lying or for future promises of behavior, if they don't abide by the promises that they are making right here, the other party can come and bring a contract breach claim or seek indemnification, which is a concept we will look at in a further part of this series. Now, before we dive into this, and I know there's a lot highlighted already, this is a highlight rich section and don't get intimidated by it. There's just a lot of language that we have to go through in order to kind of tear this stuff apart and understand what it's doing. I do want to point out that those future promises that I mentioned are usually called covenants, which again is a term of art and is used to separate from representations and warranties. When you see a document like this on a more standardized basis, generally speaking, you'll see a representations and warranties section that says, I promise this about myself. I promise this about the company. I promise this about my intellectual property. And we will see those things reflected in the language we're about to review versus I promise I will do this. I promise I won't do that. Those are covenants. In this particular document, the Raw Fury document, they combine those concepts. There isn't a separate covenants section. So we're actually going to be covering both sets of promises here, and I'll try to highlight them when we hit them. The other component here that's kind of interesting is that ordinarily at the top of the representations and warranties section, you will see something along the lines of developer represents and warrants to publisher colon, and then a bunch of subsections about the developer's representations and warranties. And then maybe another section that says the reverse, that publisher represents and warrants to developer. Here, like the covenant concept, this is combined into one section, probably for ease of use. I think the raw fury thinking is likely that they want this to be as compact as possible. They want all of these concepts presented in the same place. There's nothing wrong with that at all, but there are a couple of instances where I might tweak a little bit of the language, and I will certainly mention those as we get to them. So let's take a look at this section. Representations and warranties is one of the most important sections of the agreement because this is where a lot 
of the disputes might come in. This is where a lot of the promises really hit the road, as in rubber hitting the road. Because if you don't abide by one of the promises that you've made here, then the other side is going to have a contract breach claim against you. That also means that this is one of the more likely to be negotiated sections if you're sitting on the other side of the table, either in the shoes of publisher or developer, because it is so important and because it is reflective of the actual deal that you're talking about. This is somewhat boilerplate as presented in the form document that Raw Fury has provided, but there's still a lot of nuance to what you can put in here, what you don't want to have in here, what risks you don't want to take on, what things you want to be protected from. And so every representations and warranty section looks different. And so it means that you are absolutely negotiating these things quite often. So let's take a look at what's actually promised here. You'll see one of the conceits that I tried to use with the highlighting is that for the most part, I highlight developer or developer and publisher, the actual party making the promise in yellow, followed by the represent and warranty language in blue, and then followed by different coloration for what is actually being promised. So in this very first representation and warranty, you can see that in action. Developer in yellow represents and warrants to publisher. This is a promise from the developer to Raw Fury that... It has obtained all rights, licenses, and authorizations necessary to enter into this agreement and grant the rights granted herein. So that's representation number one. I bet it makes a lot of sense to you listening to it. The developer has promised that it has everything it needs to have for it to be able to enter into the agreement, to say what it's going to do, to deliver that game, to actually have what it needs to accomplish the vision that they are attaching that's going to describe the game to be delivered. And that's an important promise for the publisher to receive, that it's giving money, it's entering into a contract with a developer that has the ability to do what it says it's going to do. Next, you get a double representation and warranty. Each of developer and publisher represent and warrant, presumably to each other, that the execution and performance of this agreement does not and will not violate or interfere with any other agreement to which it is a party, right? That makes sense as well. Both sides are promising to the other side that doing this thing, this transaction, entering into this relationship, isn't going to violate some other agreement that it's already entered into. If it has a different agreement with a different publisher that Raw Fury doesn't know about, and that publisher has certain rights of first refusal or non-competition provisions or intellectual property ownership, you'll have a problem with this representation and warranty, and Raw Fury would have a claim against you if you're the developer, if you didn't tell them about that other agreement that's going to make their day pretty bad when that third-party publisher comes in and says, whoa, 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 you can't do any of this. Developer represents and warrants that the source code and development tools for the game is or will be original to developer. Okay, so you'll own the stuff that you made and or exclusively owned by developer. Maybe you bought it and or validly licensed by developer at developer's expense for all uses to be made of them pursuant to this agreement. In other words, just like with respect to the rights, licenses, and authorizations representation and warranty, you as the developer are being asked by Raw Fury to promise that you developed the source code, that you own the source code and development tools, or that you licensed them and have the rights necessary, which kind of dovetails with that representation and warranty at the top. Some of these are going to overlap in ways that create what we might be calling a belt and suspenders model for a legal document, that you've got the belt to keep your pants up. You also have the suspenders. So you have a couple of ways that you're protected. If you're Raw Fury, again, if you're on the developer side, 
none of this should offend your conscience. Yes, I own the rights that are necessary to enter into this agreement. No, I am not going to violate another agreement that I might be a party to. Yes, I'm going to own what I develop. Or if I have tools that I'm using, I will have properly licensed them. Also, as part of this representation, the developer is asked to say that the source code and development tools are not, nor will they be, a violation of the rights of any other person or organization. When I made these, I didn't steal somebody else's intellectual property. I didn't cheat. I didn't do something that could get the publisher in trouble for releasing this video game out into the marketplace. Finally, for this section, developer represents and warranties that no part of the game or the exercise of the rights granted hereunder violates or infringes upon any rights of any person or entity, including but not limited to the bucket of intellectual property, we would assume. Copyrights, trademark rights, patent rights, trade secret rights, contractual common law, or statutory rights. So altogether, as you can see in the heading to this section, ownership and non-infringement, the developer is being asked to make this promise that it's not violating another agreement, that it owns what it needs to own to enter into this contract, and that what it's doing and will do won't violate the intellectual property of another. Now that all makes sense. And there are ways that you could potentially negotiate around this if you've got things that are potentially gray area. If you as a developer or even as a publisher have a certain sensitivity because you got burned in court or by a third party on one of these issues, you can start asking for minor language changes in a negotiation setting, right? You could say, all right, I'm the developer. I'm making this thing. I think I'm making it the best I can. I'm using a lot of contractors. I want to say that I'm not going to infringe on the rights of anybody to the best of my knowledge, right? I, just like you, can't know the rights of everybody on every place on earth. And so I want to say that it's to the best of my knowledge. The problem with that from the publisher's side of things is that it's a risk allocation device, right? Okay, you can't know it. Neither can I. If a problem happens with infringement, who should bear the cost there? And that's the fight that you'll get into when you're negotiating these kinds of contracts. In general, it seems like the developer who's going to be actually on the ground making these kinds of things should bear the risk of that loss in most instances. And probably the publisher would have a good reason to deny a knowledge qualifier, what we call that requesting to limit something to the best of my knowledge in this particular instance. But it depends on the leverage. It depends on the sensitivities of the parties in play. And that's the kind of thing that you will discuss in virtually every sentence and every section of this document. Finally, publisher makes a representation and warranty that it shall not reverse engineer the game, which is great. It's good that you as publisher are committing to that, that you're not going to effectively try to backfill your catalog by figuring out how the developer made this game and taking the intellectual property rights that you have agreed elsewhere in this document are not yours. I do note, however, that technically speaking, it's not strictly a representation or warranty. It is, as we talked about at the top of this video, a covenant. It's a promise for future behavior or more specifically to refrain from future behavior. And so it's a little bit different than promising that I own what I own and the other promises that the developer makes in this section. Next, we have a subsection that actually doesn't get its own title. Every subsection in this uh, section of the contract gets its own title, like A is ownership and non-infringement. This one doesn't have one. I think we'll see why. It's kind of an oddball for a representation and warranty section. It says, should developer need help securing any representations, warranties, licenses, trademarks, copyrights, rights, patents, or any so other sort of legal license needed to complete the game, developer can request that publisher helps with securing these rights but must state them explicitly in writing in a document that will be included as an exhibit to this agreement. So this is actually a bit of a subconcept to A, 
right? You're telling publisher that you have all the rights needed to enter into this agreement, which by its nature is every right needed to make the game. And then this says, well, should you need help in the future? We can't anticipate every bit of middleware you might need or every kind of reference you might need because we haven't built the thing yet. In the future, if you need help getting something needed to complete the game, you can ask us for that help, but it has to be in writing. We have to have something on a contractual basis that is acknowledged by us that this is something that is necessary. This section actually continues from there and says, for the avoidance of doubt, publishers shall not be obliged to help with securing such rights unless mutually agreed upon in writing by the parties, which means that this section and this commitment from publisher is somewhat weak insofar as it's going to work as an amendment to the contract. If you need something, yes, we can get it for you only if we agree to do so by a writing, which will effectively constitute an amendment and means if we don't agree to signing that up, then you're not going to get our help. Should developer not request the help, it shall ensure that all property rights into the game are well protected, such as by applying for relevant trademarks and copyright registrations. That's actually kind of a distinct concept, right? So that's why this subsection B is a bit of a mismatch. It says, okay, if you wind up needing rights or patents or licenses, something to middleware, something that you need to help complete the game, you can ask us for help. If you don't ask us for help on that stuff, you will make sure that your game is properly protected. You'll go get registrations for the trademarks, the logos, the copyright. That's a little bit different than actually what's needed to complete the game. Strength of protection in intellectual property regimes is a kind of adjacent concept, which means that this is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with anything in here, but it is kind of an interesting add-on to what is the ownership and non-infringement set of reps and warranties. Next, we have a perfectly normal rep and warranty. Each of publisher and developer represents and warrants that it is duly organized and in good standing under the laws of the jurisdiction of its incorporation or existence. This entity exists. Raw Fury is real. Developer X is real. You don't have to worry about someone coming in out of the woodwork and saying that company never existed. You signed an agreement and paid money into a bank account if you're Raw Fury to something that isn't real. Or if you did, you're in your own amount of trouble, but you at least have a breach of contract claim. The next representation is that it, either party here, publisher or developer, has and shall at all times remain possessed of the full right, power, and authority to enter into and perform this agreement. You have the corporate rights. If you're Raw Fury or if you're a developer that's an LLC or a corporation, you've gone through the right resolutions if they're required. You've got the right approvals. You've done the right things to be a company in good standing and to have the authority to enter into an agreement like this one. And that can come up in governing documents where a company might say in its bylaws or in its certificate of incorporation that only X, Y, or Z as individuals can enter into a contract like this on behalf of the company. Or if it's a contract of X amount of dollars, we don't want to spend $2 million funding a video game on the publisher side unless the board signs off on it. So a rep like this says, we've gone through our governing documents and have made sure that we have the authority to do everything that we say we're going to do under this agreement. Finally, it says, also publisher and developer promise that it is not presently the subject of a voluntary or involuntary petition in bankruptcy, does not presently contemplate filing any such voluntary petition, and is not aware of any intention on the part of any other person to file such an involuntary petition against it. Bankruptcy, if you're talking about contract law, is very, very bad. Why is it very, very bad? Because the bankruptcy courts can come in and take a red pen to all sorts of contract terms and rights and obligations. And if you're the publisher, you don't want to have 
given money to a company that is pending a bankruptcy. And if you're a developer, you don't want to be on the hook to exclusive rights to a publisher that's going into bankruptcy because that's going to go to the estate and who knows where it winds up. And you're going to be in trouble for all of your marketing because there's an exclusive right out there that might or might not be valid. So both sides are well advised to have a provision that says, oh, by the way, neither one of us is seeking bankruptcy at present. Finally, this section says, and the person executing this agreement on its behalf has the actual authority to bind it to this agreement. Just like I said above, you want to make darn sure that each side has promised the other that we're a company, we exist, and the person that's signing on the company's behalf, yeah, they have the right to sign on the company's behalf. All very important from a corporate organization perspective. The performance rep and warranty. Each of publisher and developer represents and warrants to each other that it is under no disability, restriction, or prohibition whether contractual or otherwise, with respect to its rights to execute and perform this agreement. You see some of that overlap, right? Again, we're very concerned in this set of reps and warranties that each of the parties can enter into the agreement they are claiming to be able to enter into. So we're not under a disability restriction or prohibition, a concept very similar to the one the developer was asked to give in that first reps and warranties section where they say, hey, I don't stand as a party to an agreement that would prohibit me from doing the things that I said I would do under this agreement. Each of publisher and developer represent and warrant that the agreement of any person who is not a party to this agreement is not necessary or required for it to carry out its obligations here under or for it to enjoy the benefits contemplated by this agreement. We don't need the consent or approval of another party, whether a government agency or another contract party. I don't need to go get permission to enter into this agreement or to do the things I'm promising to do under it that during the term of this agreement, it will not enter into any agreement or make any commitments which would interfere with the grant of rights hereunder or its performance of any of the terms and provisions hereto. Okay, I've promised to you that I'm not currently a party to something that could cause you trouble on both sides, publisher and developer. I also promise that while this agreement is active, I won't enter into another agreement that probably would have caused you the trouble had it existed before we entered into this in the first place. So I won't sign another document that will somehow prevent me from doing what I should be doing under this agreement for you. Finally, this section says, and that it will not nor will it sell, assign, lease, license, or in any other way dispose of or encumber the rights granted to publisher hereunder. Publisher gets the certain rights to market the game, gets certain rights of first refusal, as we've talked about in the other sections of this video series. Here's one place where I would point out that this is a bit of a legal drafting error. This section says it's publisher and developer that represents and warrants these things. This last provision is actually just a developer rep and warranty. The publisher isn't promising not to encumber the rights of itself. Uh, and so this should probably be a period here, and this should probably say developer is promising that it won't do something to hurt the rights of publisher rather than it being a joint representation and warranty by the time you get to the bottom of this section. A minor problem uh, in an otherwise uh, very solid document and set of reps and warranties. Operation. Developer. So this is a solo rep to publisher. Represents and warrants to publisher that the gold master for the game will operate in accordance with the applicable design specifications and with commonly accepted standards for operation of such game, will be free from any bugs, significant programming errors or anomalies, and will operate and run in a reasonable and efficient business manner as described in any user and system configuration documentation or system, which fully explains the operation and design of the game. So long story short, this section says, 
you will deliver a game that matches with the specifications we asked for, and it won't be too terribly broken and will comport with whatever the platform is that you are delivering it to us for. That being said, there are a couple more of these kinds of issues that I generally have with some of the language uh, in this particular document around the definition of gold master. I pulled up that definition section that we've talked about in prior videos. Gold masters are not necessarily bug-free, but bugs they contain are not considered serious enough to block production or play. We've talked about this bugs kind of definitional issue. This is lowercase b, so this is kind of the common sense of what a bug is. It says a gold master by definition doesn't have to be bug free, but of course there are sections here, both in 15, which we talked about in an earlier video, and now here in section 20 that says you will deliver a gold master that will be free from any bugs, capital B. But bugs isn't actually defined in the definition section. For that definition, you actually have to go directly to section 15, where you get the definition we've talked about in prior videos. In this specific agreement, a bug with a capital B means any deviation from the commonly accepted standards for normal operation of games or any material error, including without limitation, an abnormal cessation of functioning of the game, but shall expressly not include deviations from that commonly accepted standards for normal operation of games that are not considered serious enough to block production or play. A minor frame rate dip when you're crossing a corner in a graphically intense environment might technically be a bug. It's not hitting the specification of 30 frames per second or 60 frames per second, but it's not a bug for purposes of the agreement because it's a normal kind of operational issue for games of all stripes, which leaves you with will be free from any bugs, not actually meaning will be free from any bugs, which is kind of a standard thing that happens in legal documents, uh, but I don't love it. I would probably define this capital B bugs as something like material bugs, significant bugs, something along those lines, because I do think non-lawyers and people just reading this document uh, off the shelf look at it and say, oh, if I have to go cross-reference it to the definitions, oh, it's not there. Where is it? It's in section 15. How do I read all of this? I, I don't think it's ideal, but it also isn't bad. The developer is not obligated to to deliver something that's bug-free, it, it just looks like they are. The last thing I would say in this section is that I don't actually know what efficient business manner means, especially since we're talking about a leisure product. Uh, I imagine that the idea here is that the system configuration documentation or system which fully explains the operation and design of the game is, is a business type document and concern. I probably would just say reasonable and efficient manner. Not entirely certain what the word business is doing there. Maybe somebody from Raw Fury uh, will chime in on this either in the comments uh, or at a later date. Either way, it's perfectly fine representation and warranty. It's a bit closer to a covenant insofar as you're promising something. It's arguably already covered in section 15, where you promise to have delivered a fully functional gold master on the final delivery date. But for belt and suspenders purposes, it really doesn't shock the conscience or anything like it. Open source licenses. Developers shall not incorporate, combine, or use in the development of the game any materials subject to an open source license that would require developer, publisher, or any third party to disclose, license, distribute, or otherwise make all or any part of the game to be some very bad things if you are a publisher with exclusive rights to a video game, disclosed or distributed in source code form, licensed for the purpose of making derivative works, or redistributable at no charge. Now here's an area where I think it's interesting because games do get made with certain open source components. You see it all the time. Enterprise software gets made with open source components. But parties that are licensed partners with you 
always and forever want to know exactly what those open source components are, exactly what the obligations are related to those open source licenses. And so this is an area where I thought we could talk about briefly one of the things that happens in representations and warranty sections is that there's often what we would call a disclosure schedule or a schedule of exceptions. The representations and warranty section, as you see here, is the baseline. These are the promises that either side wants to get from the other, but there can be allowable exceptions to these promises. It might be the case that Raw Fury or the publisher that you might see on the other side of the table from you, if you're on the developer side, doesn't actually care that you have certain amounts of open source software in your game, so long as it doesn't do these very bad things, or if it does, that at least the publisher knows about it. So what you might see in a document like this, what you might negotiate with your lawyer as part of a conversation regarding this contract, is a statement that goes something like the following, except as set forth on disclosure schedule section 20F, developer shall not, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then as part of the document, as part of the agreement that you enter into, there would be a disclosure schedule. Sometimes you'd see it referred to as a schedule of exceptions that would have a page on it that says 20F, and it would list the open source licenses, and it might list exactly what they do that the publisher would want to be aware of. And with that notification, you're no longer in breach of this because the language would allow for the exceptions, the disclosures that you're otherwise delivering, but either side can have full transparency about what the relationship looks like. Otherwise, this section, perfectly normal and perfectly acceptable from the developer side. This is a normal request from a publisher. We don't want there to be rights that we don't know about that we would have to otherwise abide. Note again the belt and suspenders concept here because you, if you're the developer, have already promised that you can meet the obligations under the agreement, that you have all the rights necessary to do those things, to give the right of first refusal, to give the intellectual property rights that you are claiming to be giving to Raw Fury. So in this particular case, this is you promising it again because this is essentially saying you don't have any licenses that would cause us trouble elsewhere in the document. So it makes a lot of sense. Doesn't mean that if you somehow used source code or used an open source license in your creation that every publisher contract is suddenly foreclosed to you, but it does mean it would be something that you'd have to work through with their lawyers and your lawyers and their business people to see if it was something that could work for both parties. Finally, in section G, we get an interesting section. This is called non-discrimination and anti-harassment. The parties acknowledge and agree, so not so much a representation, once again, we are in covenant land here, that they shall comply with any applicable prevention of sexual harassment law and regulations. Applicable is doing a lot of work there. Different parties are going to be in different jurisdictions. Certainly different jurisdictions are going to have different laws that regulate these kinds of things. The overall promise here is that each party promises that they will comply with the law and regulations that is applicable to them. Neither party nor contractor nor any person on their behalf shall in any manner discriminate against or intimidate any employee or partner involved in the development or publishing of the game, the performance of work or any other activity required under the agreement on account of gender, race, creed, or color. Now, one interesting thing to note there is, especially if you are in the United States, sexual harassment, gender, race, creed, or color does not actually cover all of the various protected classes under things like the Civil Rights Act in the United States. So I thought of that while I was reading this to prepare for this video. And one interesting thing, thing that jumped out at me is that there doesn't appear to be what is a fairly standard request and representations and warranties for general compliance with the law. 
you see here the kind of language that you would see in a representation warranty or a covenant like that, where you talk about applicable laws and regulations, generally speaking, there would be a blanket umbrella promise, probably from both parties in most cases, that says the parties agree that each shall perform the services, duties, and obligations under this agreement in full compliance with all applicable laws, rules, and regulations of every government authority, municipal, federal, state, local, what have you. And they promise to be in compliance completely, including but not limited to a list like this which is expressing certain things from Raw Fury as publisher, right? A certain sensitivity to these issues, and justifiably so. Sexual harassment, discrimination on the basis of gender, race, creed, or color. Obviously things that certain corners of the gaming industry have struggled with historically. And so there's no problem with this being the list. I am surprised that there isn't that umbrella term. Now that all being said, both parties still have an obligation to comply with the law. That's the law. That's higher than the contract. But you start to get into a little bit of difficulty if you're trying to bring a breach claim for somebody on account of them violating a law that maybe you didn't cover in your kind of more specific subsection G here. So it's interesting. And I, again, I have these questions for Raw Fury to exactly what they're doing here and why they skipped that kind of umbrella term. And maybe again, we'll get uh, some thoughts from them either in the comment to this video or elsewhere uh, in this video series. Finally, this section ends with developer understands and agrees that this subsection is a material provision of the agreement. This isn't fake. This isn't unserious. And that any breach of this section shall be considered a material breach of this agreement. And there's no problem with that. If anything, the only problem I can see from the raw fury side of this is that they emphasize the point that a breach of G is a material breach of the agreement. One could, if it came to it, argue that the other sections breach isn't necessarily material because Raw Fury knows how to write when a breach is material and they didn't write it in those other sections. Obviously, that isn't intended here, but it does raise that kind of question if you are in a dispute uh, with somebody, developer and publisher. So obviously, looking at this, looking at the structure of this document, G seems to be an area in which Raw Fury is sensitive, wants to signal the importance of this particular issue to their potential developer partners. Nothing wrong with that at all. But perhaps it could be a little bit more fulsome for both sides uh, and not potentially run into some of the issues that I've spotted here. Either way, nothing wrong with this section. And I will say this, it also doesn't demand a lot from the developer. One of the things that we've commented on in looking at this agreement in its totality as part of this series is that a lot of the provisions here take a middle road. They are either designed around mutuality, which is always great, because if the publisher has to face it and the developer has to face the same thing, we can at least be sure that both sides are negotiating out of their own interest. And so there is that mutuality. Not a lot of mutuality in the representations and warranties section, but there is an overall thrust that, hey, all we really care about is that you have the right to enter into this agreement, the transactions we've contemplated in this agreement, and you're going to deliver us a game that you promised that comports with the specifications we've talked about, and we're not going to get burned because you're either harassing or discriminatory or you put open source stuff all inside your game. And that's the baseline for this entire section. Representations and warranty sections can be very, very long. They are, in fact, very often the longest section in an agreement like this and an agreement like others in different industries. You can have these particular sections go for 15, 20 pages of promise after promise of, oh, we're not facing litigation. Oh, we don't have environmental issues. Oh, we don't have ERISA problems with our employees. Here are our financial statements. Here's the state of our taxes. Whatever it might be, they go on and on and on. This is a very compact list of representations and warranties. And again, I look at it 
at least from the developer side and say it's a very fair set. These are what I might consider the fundamental reps and warranties. I can do it. I can do it as I promised and I won't burn you in my doing it. And so I think it's a very nice set of reps and warranties, especially from the developer side. I also wanted to bring into this particular video, a very small section here on confidential information. This is very similar to making promises. This is promising to keep each side's information private. Publisher and developer recognize that in connection with the performance of this agreement, each of them may disclose to the other information about the disclosing party's business or activities. Raw Fury is going to give you some info about Raw Fury that you wouldn't know if you weren't entered into an agreement with them. And Developer X is going to give Raw Fury some information that Raw Fury wouldn't know without an agreement. Which such party considers proprietary and confidential? All such proprietary and confidential information of each party, which shall include without limitation all business, financial, and technical information of a party, identities of customers, clients, or licensees, proprietary software code, and any other information, whether oral or written, which is not generally known or available to the public. Everything that you would think of as normally secret is here and after referred to as capital C, capital I, confidential information. Absolutely nothing wrong with that definition, and it's protective of both parties. It has that mutuality. The one thing I might potentially add to this is that there is very often when you're defining the term confidential information, a set of exceptions. Okay, if I developed something that is similar to something that you have, but I developed it completely independently without using any of your information, probably shouldn't be confidential information. If you go out after having disclosed it to me and then have a conference about it where it's made known to the public and the entire public can disseminate it as they see fit, I probably shouldn't be bound as capital C, capital I, confidential information. But... From the developer's standpoint, in all likelihood, more information is going from the developer to the publisher. They have their secret sauce that they're probably pretty proprietary about, that they don't want getting out there. They've got the genius idea, and they want to make sure that somebody isn't going to burn them on it. So while I would see certain exceptions written here that I don't see here, and I might have a conversation with my client if they were the developer and talking to Raw Fury about it. I do see the benefits from the developer standpoint of saying, no, no, we don't even get the standard exceptions here. It's just very hard and fast. If I delivered something to you that I think is secret, you're going to keep it secret, which is what we see in subsection B. The party who receives any confidential information agrees to maintain the confidential status for such confidential information, not to use any such confidential information for any purpose other than the purpose for which it was originally disclosed to the receiving party. You're only going to use what I gave you for the purposes we talked about in the agreement and not to disclose any of such confidential information to any third party unless required by law or court order. Yes, that's an exception that always makes it into confidential information definitions. You maybe don't even need it because the court order is always going to subsume the qualities of the contract here, but it's good to have in here. Yes, if a court mandates that you deliver something, you can abide by that without breaching this section. Because remember, a breach of this section could potentially cause contract damages and wind up in court with you against the other side. So if the court orders it, you get out of it. The other thing that is often here with respect to court orders is a provision that says something along the lines of the following. If you are ordered by that court to do something, you'll give notice to the party whose disclosure has been ordered and hopefully give them the chance to potentially try to suppress it or restrict dissemination of that, even if the court needs it for whatever it's looking at. And so maybe if I was sensitive about my confidential information, I would tweak a few things 
in this section. But overall, this is a very normal promise. If you're on either the publisher or the developer side, you want to see a section like this that promises that the information will be kept confidential. And at the end of the day, these promises don't shock the conscience. They don't offend. And again, I think it's a very mutual-based, very fair set of provisions in this publishing agreement. That's been chapter six, promises and confidences. In the next couple of sections, we're going to be talking about that indemnification concept where one or the other side has to pay the other for breaches and problems that they have with the contract, the length of the term, miscellaneous provisions, and then going over all of this in a big umbrella and talking about the overall relationship across all parts in our part 10 conclusion. If you enjoyed this video, thank you so much. Please like, subscribe, consider supporting the channel at the various support avenues that we otherwise have. Otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.